This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free t- trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription, and the first 14 days are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, enter to win swag. You can have access to the new release index, which is curated by all the books host, Liberty Hardy, and it'll help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. Come on in. Your bag of book perks is waiting. You can head to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 38, and we're recording on Wednesday, November 7th. I'm Rinsey Abraham, along with Liberty Hardy, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Liberty. Hi, Rinsey. So for anyone who didn't pick up on this from the last episode, but Katie got married, um, <gasps> which is super exciting. And so she's off on her honeymoon right now in England. So I... Uh, tapped in Liberty to take her place so I would have a partner this week. And I'm super excited that you're here. I am so excited that you asked me and even more excited about what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So we're basically like throwing out what we usually do on the episodes because, you know, why not? We can do that. We can do whatever we want. Um, (laughs) And so this episode is going to be focused completely around Agatha Christie. Yeah. (laughs) I love her. You asked me to be on the show, and I was really excited. And you were like, well, how do you feel about talking about Agatha Christie? And I was like, you get to drink from the fire hose. I know so much about her. She is my obsession. So you couldn't have asked about anything better other than books. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just really funny because in my head, I, I was telling Liberty this, but like, I knew she liked... Agatha Christie. And the thing is, is that Katie has never read Agatha Christie. And so we've like talked about her a little bit on the show before, but like there's only so much, you know, that I can really talk about with her just because she's never read her before. And so she doesn't have like as much knowledge. It's mostly just me talking at her about Agatha Christie. But now I have someone to talk at me about Agatha Christie. If she's never read her, it's very possible that they may have turned her away when she got to England. Because... They'll be like, sorry. <laughs> they like ask you certain questions about like uh, Ms. Marple or something like <laughs> yeah. that before you go in. <laughs> What's her first name? <laughs> All right. Um, so to just sort of kick things off, do you want to like give a little bit of background on Agatha Christie? You, again, are just a huge super fan and just know so much about her. So I figured you could just talk for a little bit. I would love to, because there are so many amazing things about her that people don't realize or haven't heard. Um, So I'll start off, I'm just going to come out right with it because you asked me to. I'm not ashamed. (laughs) When we were discussing uh, Agatha Christie, I told you a story and you said, please tell this story on the air. (laughs) So I'm going to. Um, So I started reading Agatha Christie when I was eight years old. Uh, Before I started reading Agatha Christie, I was obsessed with Ancient Egypt. Uh, I had a Time Life book of pictures, and I just thought it was so amazing and would draw scarabs and ankhs and all this stuff. And then I found out that Agatha Christie was really into Ancient Egypt, and she became my hero. And I got this idea in my head because I was reading her books, and I felt like I just had already read them before, even though they were new to me. And again, I was eight years old. Uh, she died in January of 1976. I was born in July of 1976. Uh, but I got this story in my head, not that I believed it really, but that somehow when she died, her spirit, her soul was trapped in something that made its way to the States and was born in me six months later, was like let out of whatever it was trapped in. And so I was Agatha Christie reincarnated. Like, I, I was like, mm, this is like a, like a 50% chance, maybe? I don't know. And so I, I, that was like a cool story that I told myself. So, and like, I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, people can't think I'm much weirder than they already do. So, yeah, when I was eight, I thought I was Agatha Christie. For a There's bit. like so many things about that story that I love, besides <laughs> the fact that you thought you were Agatha Christie reincarnated. You didn't tell me the detail about you thought her spirit was trapped in something <laughs> that like oh, came yeah. over. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how else do those things happen, right? Like, it's true, probably right? like a canopic jar somehow, because, you know, ancient <laughs> Egypt. 
Um, so Agatha Christie, if you do not know, is the best-selling novelist of all time. She has over two billion books in print. She has the most published works in English after the Bible and Shakespeare. I mean, she's huge, 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 huge. Uh, she wrote 66 mysteries, 14 short story collections. Those were also mysteries. And she actually, she wrote six romance novels under a pen name, Mary West Mascot, um, which a lot of people don't realize. Uh, her play, The Mousetrap, is the longest initial run play ever. It's done over 27,000 performances since it opened in 1952. Uh, her first book was The Mysterious Affair of Styles, which came out in 1920. It took her many years to get it published. Like, she wrote it in 1916, and it took a long time, but it was hugely popular when it came out. Uh, and she took off, and people hadn't seen anything like that before. And she was a big fan of Wilkie Collins, like the Moonstone and the Woman in White, and she wanted to write something like that. Um, my favorite story about Agatha Christie, and the one that people often have heard of, is she was married to a man named Archibald Christie. Her name was actually Agatha Miller. Uh, she married Archibald Christie, and they were married for, like, 12 years, I think. They had a daughter. And in 1926, he told her that he wanted a divorce, that he had been cheating on her and had a mistress named Nancy Neal, and he wanted a divorce. And they had this huge quarrel about it, and he left the house. Do you know the story, Rinsey? Is this, yeah, this is, I, they did an episode of Annotated about it, right? Yes. 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 So um, he left the house, and when he returned, she was gone. There was a letter saying that she had gone to Yorkshire and Yorkshire, sorry, and uh, her car was found abandoned by a chalk quarry. It was full of clothes and her license, and nobody knew where she was. The home secretary got involved. There was like a hundred pound reward. They had a thousand officers and fifteen thousand volunteers looking for her around the grounds. Arthur Conan Doyle actually went to a psychic to try and find her, because he was really big into mediums at that time. And her husband was a suspect. They were like, what, you, you asked your wife for a divorce? You're seeing this much younger, beautiful woman. Like, where's your wife? And she turned up ten days later in a spa, uh, like, saying she had no idea who she was or how she got there. But she had checked in under her husband's mistress's name. She was checked in under Nancy Neal. And it's just amazing to me. The story, I love that story because when I was a kid, I thought it was amazing, but... Now, it's like, you couldn't go five minutes without someone taking your photo and putting it on Instagram if you were famous. Yeah. So, no one could ever disappear for that long. And they, like, she claims, she never even mentioned it in her autobiography. She doesn't, she doesn't discuss it. But she claimed amnesia, but lots of people thought she did it to teach him a lesson. And there have been some books written that said, like, family members helped her do it. Um, but I just, I thought it was really rad that, you know, she had him sweating there for a while, you know, no matter what happens. And there was actually a Doctor Who episode that deals with her 11 missing days. Although it involves giant alien wasps, which is probably less likely. <laughs> you but. never know, though. But she has a happy ending because uh, four years later, she met an archaeologist named, named Max Malone, and she got married, and she had a great time. She went on all his digs with him. She has this great quote that says, oh, what is it? Uh, an archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. <laughs> I never heard that before. Yeah. Um, and in World War II, she volunteered and worked at a pharmacy, which is where she learned all about poisons. There were a lot of poisons put to use in her later novels, like her post-war novels. So much so that in her novel, The Pale Horse, this doctor who was reading it discovered that the symptoms that the um, victim in the book had corresponded with something that was happening to one of his patients, and he was actually able to diagnose what was going on in real life thanks to her book. Like, that was how much she knew about what she was, what, about poison, like what she was writing about. Um, there's, like, I could keep going on and on. I'll tell you one more cool thing. She, obviously, she was not the first woman to surf, but she is credited as being the first woman to bring surfing into the mainstream public. She loved surfing. And she was photographed doing it all the time. Wow. Like, it's so cool. Like, who, who, you, you think of Agatha Christie, like, you know, you see a lot of photos of her. She's always elderly. They're older photos and stuff, you know. But she was, she was a badass. Like, she was so cool. Um, I'm going to stop there because I could just keep going on and on and on and on. But she's so cool. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Wait, okay, so this is a slight tangent from anything that we talked about, but do you have any like Agatha Christie biography recommendations? I'm asking you this completely off the top of your head, so if the answer is no, that's fine. <laughs> like you don't know, you have to oh, think no. about it. Oh, no, I I love, um, there's a book that I really love called uh, Agatha Christie and the Eleven Missing Days, which just deals with her disappearance. However, the new biography of her by Laura Thompson, which I really enjoyed, um, I believe she's on the annotated episode. She, I hear that she thinks that isn't very faithful to what actually happened. Um, so maybe like take it with a grain of salt if you read Agatha Christie and the Eleven Missing Days. I do really enjoy the new biography. Um, but more than anything, I love her memoir. And it's, I don't entire, I don't know that it's entirely true because she was British. Uh, it was a long time ago. And it's the only memoir I've ever read by anybody that was like, my childhood was wonderful, my life is wonderful, I'm mm. happy, everything is great. About everything, all the time. And you know that that's not the case. Yeah. But like, you know, she put on this front. But it's still, it was completely fascinating. I mean, she talks about like when she goes on the digs and she talks about her, she had a daughter, you know, she talks about her daughter and her grandson. And it was really, I loved it. But um, she does, I don't think she really tells everything and maybe you don't have to like you know everybody shares everything about their life all the time yeah um now so i actually i love that but if you want to read something current definitely the laura thompson biography i will have links to those books in the show notes in case anyone else is interested um so yeah before we get into sort of more of the discussion i'm going to do our first sponsor so this episode is sponsored by Into Deep by Lynn H. Blackburn and Ravel Books, which is a division of Baker Publishing Group. How do you choose between loyalty and truth? When the Carrington County Sheriff's Office dive team is called in to recover a body from a submerged car, they aren't prepared to find an encrypted laptop or an unsettling connection between investigator Adam Campbell and the dead accountant. Adam turns to his friend, Dr. Sabrina Fleming, to recover the files from the laptop. But the deeper they dig, the deadlier the investigation becomes. When evidence implicates members of Adam's own family, he and Sabrina will have to risk everything to solve the case. The, the truth could set hundreds free, but someone is willing to do whatever it takes to silence anyone who threatens to reveal their secrets. And again, that's spon- this, that's Into Deep by Lynn H. Blackburn. And thanks so much to Ravel Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Um, so I was just thinking like generally in terms of like Agatha Christie, I feel like the first thing people or at least the first thing I always think about when I'm talking to other people who like Agatha Christie, like the first thing I always want to know is like, who's your favorite detective? Like if you had to pick one out of the ones that she has as her main characters, like who are the ones that you prefer maybe more than others, or you like the way their mysteries are structured more than others? I would have to say Poirot. Okay. I think mostly because my favorite Agatha Christie books usually involve him. Um, he and you know she she had three three detectives well four yeah. technically yeah um I mean I because I I love them all like but Tommy and Tuppence who are a couple that investigate in a lot of her short stories and a couple of novels they were a little too precious for me like yeah. even even when I was younger I just didn't really enjoy like their golly gee and you know sort of attitude about everything um, although now I realize like. Tuppence was awesome, you know. But at the time, I was like, she doesn't have the little gray cells that Poirot has, you know. <laughs> and, not, and Tommy, he's useless. Yeah. Um, but I loved, I love Poirot. I do. Uh, I love the TV show that they've done of him. Yeah. Uh, the episodes are fantastic. Uh, I loved the movies when I was a little kid. Although Albert Finney gave me the creeps. Like, Peter Ustinoff as Poirot was amazing. The Murder on the Orient Express, the original one. Yeah. He, Peter, uh, Albert Finney, he creeped me out. But I, I, you know, Poirot, although Agatha Christie did not like Poirot, she admittedly, you know, he, she was kind of like stuck with him because yeah. he was a favorite, but she did not like him. She called him a um, detestable, bombastic, tiresome, egocentric little creep. <laughs> and he was. He was strange uh, and rude, and but it was like always funny. And I loved Colonel Hastings, his buddy, who yes. was in most of the books with him. Uh, so definitely Poirot. 
Yeah, it's funny because I was whenever I think about this, like my immediate answer is to say Miss Marple. But I think it's because I like Miss Marple because like I feel like Miss Marple is so like I like that she's so like inconspicuous. Like she just sort of like shows up and like no one thinks anything of her or like expects much from her because she's like this older woman and they don't think that she'll be able to like really do anything to help the situation. And she doesn't come in as a detective, you know, a lot of the time, sometimes she does, or like she's called in because like people know that she's good at solving stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But like a lot of times she'll just kind of like show up on the scene and be like, Hey, what's going on? And then she'll like solve the crew mystery. (laughs) And there's something I really always just enjoyed about that. Um, Some of her books, I always just felt like, like I mean, I'm not. Some of the stories, like Miss Marple, doesn't show up until like way later, and so then I would just be like disappointed by those books, just because I like Miss Marple as a character, and so I always like when she shows up. But if I'm thinking about like the actual mysteries that I like the most, or like complete books I like the most, they're always Perot books. Um, some for some, whatever reason, like the way that those stories were structured, or like the way the mysteries unravel, like mm-hmm. always appeal to me a lot. I was thinking about it because you asked this question and I was thinking before we started and I wondered, you know, they were her most successful, the Poirot books. And I wonder if subconsciously or maybe consciously, like she put her best efforts into those, like all Hmm. her best stuff into the Poirot ones because they were her most popular. Um, But I did, you know, it's funny, even though they were like full of murder um, they're still like cozies, you know, yeah. Kind of. I mean, although they are, they are a little more sinister than like your regular cozy. But I always felt like more comforted with Miss Marple ones than I did with Poirot books when I was that little. Is true. Like they didn't, they didn't scare me as much. Um, but like Jessica Fletcher was like Miss Marple two point oh, you know, mm. like same kind of thing. Like no one really expects her to, you know, she's kind of unassuming because she's this older woman and she comes in and she knows everything. Yeah, figures it out. Yeah. So, um, are do you have like specific ones that you can say are your favorites? I know like she's written so many and you love a lot of them. So, are do you, but do you have ones that you? I do. Are, yeah. yeah. Um. So this is kind of the. This is kind of the same. I don't know if we're going to discuss this separately, so I'm just going to say it all together. But my first Agatha Christie that I read, my first experience with her was, and then there were none. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a little kid, I don't know. Other people probably know what I'm talking about if you're my age, which is in my 40s. Um, HBO and Cinemax used to show, like, the same five movies yeah. every day. Like, they'd pick, like, five for the month, and they would play them constantly for, like, that whole month. And I can still see the little, like, square, like, nap- cocktail napkin size <laughs> guide that you used to get in the mail. Yep. Anyway, um, so they, there was this one time they played Evil Under the Sun, which starred Diana Riggs, and I was obsessed with that movie, and I watched it every time it was on, and Peter Ustinov was Poro. And I was, my mom was a librarian, and I was at the library, and I was like, oh, an Agatha Christie novel! Like, I love her, I love Under, Evil Under the Sun, and for some reason in my head I didn't put it together that that could have also been a book. Hmm. So I picked up the first one that I found, because it had like this creepy, rocky mountain thing on it, and that was, and then there were none. And I still claim that one as my favorite because it was my first experience with her. And as you heard me babble about her earlier, um, I became quite interested in her. Um, but I also, my other favorite, which I believe they're making into like a BBC adaptation re- soon. Maybe they already did. Is the ABC Murders. Oh, I didn't know that they were doing that. Yeah, I think they just, either they just announced it or they just wrapped it up or something. But uh, the ABC Murders, that one is the one that scared me the most. I read all of her books when I was eight, and then I read them all again when I was 19, and then again when I was 30. Um, and I was not quite as scared <laughs> the last two times. Uh, but this one, this one terrified me. It was about a murderer who was killing people, like, their their names would start with A, and their town would be in, like, the same letter, like a letter A. So if you, if your name started, like, first and last name started with B, and you lived in a town that started with B, like, you had the possibility of being murdered and they, they were trying to figure out like what town the murderer was going to go to next and they were going down through the alphabet and there was one where someone is murdered in a movie theater like a stranger just murders them in a movie theater comes up behind them and kills them while they're watching a movie and it, they say like you know be careful what you give your kids sometimes i would not sit in a movie theater after that unless i was in the very back against the wall like that was it for me I wasn't sitting in a movie theater where someone could come up behind me and murder me because I yeah. read that book. 
it was such a big influence on me um, as far as like things I was afraid of and like I'm sure I had a lot more things I was afraid of but um, I just always remember that. That one scared me so so much but now I think it's fantastic and I'm like yeah lots of fun but um, also let's see I love Body in the Library. Yes. Halloween Party, uh, Cat Amongst the Pigeons, and probably I'd say Death on the Nile because that's ancient Egypt and or in Egypt, you know, but they go through like the the um, pyramids and all that stuff to talk about mm. it. So it was it was really fun for me. So how about you? Yeah, it's funny that you started with and and then there were none because that was my first Agatha Christie too. Huh. I was actually assigned it in school. I think it was it was sometime in junior high or maybe it was like a book that you could read as like, you know, sometimes they'll be like, here's a list of books that you could pick from. It was mm-hmm. like something like that, but it was for school. And it was my first time reading a mystery like that. Like um, the story I've told on the podcast before, I think it was like one of our early episodes, we were kind of talking about like growing up with mysteries. But like prior to that point, like I had read like Encyclopedia Brown, like mm-hmm. consistently, or like Nancy Drew consistently, or like I would read like the Clue books and things like that. And so, like I always loved mysteries, but I feel like when I read and then there were none, my mind was just like blown. It was like next level mystery writing. I mean, it still is next level. Like even if you read it like as an adult, but I just felt like I never knew books could be written like that like it's hard Mm -hmm. to talk about without spoiling it but just like the way everything sort of goes down I was just in awe of it um so I still that I the same way where I still claim that one as my favorite just because I think it was my first and it just sort of blew my mind and it's kind of hard to get over an experience like that um but yeah so that's probably the one I claim as my favorite the other one that I just adore so so much is um the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Yes. That's um, another classic. Yeah, it's another classic. And it's funny because like, re- like I'm not the type of person where like if I find a book that I like, I'm not like good at doing a full dive into an author's backlist. Like usually what I do is I'll pick their books up slowly over the course of time. And so like I was doing that with Agatha Christie. I mean, I'm still like, I mean, she, like you said, she has so many books out, but like um, I'm still like working my way through her catalog, but I just remember like going through a period where I was like reading some of her books and I think I was reading the ones that are sort of like a little bit lower on the list of her great ones. <laughs> and so I was just like, yeah, this is fine. This is fine. But it's not like really doing much for me. And I just remember like picking up the murder of Roger Ackroyd. And it was sort of that feeling again of just like complete awe of the way that the book is structured and the way that she just like piecemeals out information in just the right way. Um, So that way, like you feel like you're getting somewhere, but at the same time, you still have no idea really what's going on. And then just like the way everything wraps up is just like so masterfully done. It's such a like, like you could probably, I mean, people probably have written like thesis papers on the way that she like, structures her stories and the way that her like characters will figure out information versus like what the readers know and things like that it's just amazing i think that those are her two uh most famous novels for the fact that no one had done anything like that before yeah um uh, you know and then there were none you know and not giving anything away for i'll steal the term from television it's it's a bottle episode you know it's a bunch of people who are in one spot and bad things happen and it's like is it one of us is it someone else here you know and now like there's been a million things like that but no one had done anything like that at the time and the i can't say anything about the murder of roger Ackroyd, yeah except for the fact that you know i I was like i'm curious about people reading them now because so many authors have done you know imitated her and done these same kind of things or and I just wonder, like, what it must have been like back then to read this because no one else had done anything like it. I often say, like, sometimes the most popular things, I think, are the people who got there first. You know, like, Stephen King is the most popular horror author because, you know, he was the first mass-produced, really. Yeah. And so now, like, he's what we hold up for, like, horror legend. And same thing for her, you know, they were publishing so many of her novels. Like, she was the first huge crime novelist because no one else had done anything like that at the time. Um, so... I'm so curious to know if people read The Murder of Roger Ackroyd now, if they're as impressed now as they were back when it came out in, you know, 1930, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think so, because I read it when I was in, like, college. Oh. 
Yeah, so I wasn't like super young when I picked it up. Um, and it still like blew my mind. Um, and I think I even know people who are like even later to the game t- with Agatha Christie and they pick up the murder of Roger Ackroyd and they're shocked. I think it's partially because, again, like Agatha Christie has this, uh, t- everyone thinks of her as being like a cozy mystery writer. Mm-hmm. And so there's like an aspect to that, obviously. But like, again, the murder of Roger Ackroyd is really more of a straight, like, I mean, nothing super dark happens um but like the way it all happens it's it's not like a cozy mystery at all and i think that sort of shocks people um and or people just expect it to reveal itself slowly over time or you know like the way the story is structured again you can't really talk about it but um i think it's still really surprising even if you pick it up today that's good to know yeah she she her books definitely hold up like more than other um, mystery writers. I mean, obviously, that's why she's still like selling like crazy. Yeah. Um, I just feel like she's one of those writers where even if you know a lot of things about mystery writers, she still surprises you. Because I also feel like even though some people can try to like do what she did, I, there's, you know, there's no real comparison. Like no one else is really doing what she's doing, especially like right now, the way mysteries are like written and you know what's popular right now what's popular right now isn't really what she writes like no so no we've definitely gone away from that for a while but one of the great things about her i think and i think this helps with her popularity is you don't have to have read them in any order yes i always have to read things in order or else my eyes bleed but you don't have to. Like, you can pick up one anywhere, and it's the same characters, but you don't have to know anything about anything that happens because they very rarely mention, you know, anything. And it's yeah. often like, oh, hey, Stings, hey, remember the last time I saw you when it was like this? And it doesn't even have to do with any of her other books. It's just like this little story that they're telling. Um, so you you can start anywhere. I mean, there are ones that I would recommend before, you know, picking up first, but you don't have to. Hey, so since you said that, what are some of the ones that you... <laughs> That's a good that's a good transition. What are some of the ones that you think are good for people to start with? Well, I would definitely like I would say if you're going to start doing a dive into Agatha Christie, read The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, especially if you're someone who likes to learn about the author that they're reading or the books because now there's a good chance that you might ruin it for yourself, you know, poking around on the internet. Um because it's it's sort of like with classics uh, I learned a, a hard lesson when I read Anna Karenina because there was an introduction. Mm. And when I read it, I was like 19 or something. And it was still 100-something years old at that point. And in the introduction, they gave away the ending of the book. And I was like, uh, what? Like, well, it's a classic. Everybody knows how this ends. It's like, no, you just ruined the book for me. So I would say read The, Myster- the Murder of Roger Ackroyd first. Like, if, you, if you're if you interested in learning more about her, because you'll see it somewhere on the internet, like, what it's about or what happens, and you'll be like, oh, sad trombone. Um, but also, I think The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is her first yes. book, is a great place to start. That is true. It, it's, I mean, you know, her books do hold up, but there's a couple of things that, like, in rereading them, there's a couple of things that I've noticed uh, as an adult that I didn't pick up on as a child, such as casual racism, you know, like, she's not without her flaws. Like, there are some not-so-great things. Um, and also, one thing I noticed when I was reading The Mysterious Affair of Styles recently, uh, it's, this bothers me in Sherlock Holmes books, too, um, how easily fooled people seem to be mm. by... And, like, I just watched the trailer for the new Sherlock Holmes movie with Will Ferrell, and, like, he puts on a mustache, and everyone's like, where did Sherlock Holmes go? And he rips it off, and he's like, I never left! And everyone's like, <gasps> And those are, that's basically what these books are like. Like, people will put on a wig. In Mysterious Affair of Styles, they talk about someone wearing a wig made out of yarn. Oh, my gosh. And nobody, nobody knows that it's someone else. I'm like, that can't be, that can't be right. Um, or people just weren't as smart back then. I don't know. So there's, like, little things like that where people are just, like, putting on makeup and stuff and pretending to be other people, like, fake mustaches, and everybody falls for it. So, it's like, that kind of stuff is, like, mm, I don't know. When I was a kid, I was, like, oh, yeah, totally, totally, you know. But now I'm, like, hmm. But where would you start? Yeah, usually I tell people Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Or I also tell people, like, And Then There Were None is a good one to start with just because mm-hmm. that's where I started. So I'm, like, that's not a terrible place to start. Um, but, yeah, I think usually, like, if I'm giving, like, a recommendation of, like, either, like, one detective versus another because – Mysterious Affairs of Styles is Miss Marple, right? Yep. 
Yeah, so I usually recommend that Wait, one. Wait, no, this- no, sorry. It's it's Poro, I think. Or- Mysterious okay. Fire Styles. Am I forgetting? <gasps> Let's look it up while we're talking here. Yeah, so usually, because I feel like one of them, because Mysterious Fire Style. oh, I thought it was Marple, and then I thought that Roger Ackroyd was Pearl, unless I'm confusing them. I think so. No, I think it's Poirot, Mysterious okay. Fire Styles. It, my computer is not loading anything now. That's um, okay. Yes, it's, it's the first book, and it's Poirot's first case. And okay. Roger Ackroyd, I think, is also Poirot. Yeah, Not- I think that one is uh, also Pearl too. So that's why I'm like, oh no, what am I, maybe I've just been telling everyone the wrong information, so, which <laughs> that's is fine. Okay. I, I mean, never what- like I am never more in doubt of myself than when I actually know something. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Ackroyd is also a Poirot mystery. Okay, well, never mind then. I was going to say, I usually try to recommend one and <laughs> one, but then I just, now I'm learning that I've just been recommending the same one and no one has told me, but then maybe they're just reading one of them. They're not um, taking my recommendations. Um. I really, for for Miss um, Marple, I really like The Mirror Cracked. I think in England it's called, the. Uh, there are a lot of different titles between England and the States, and I think in England it's called The Mirror Cracked from side to side, but in the states it's just called the mirror cracked it's actually a really great movie with elizabeth taylor too oh. um, so i would recommend that one for miss marple yeah i also because i feel like a lot of people also just end up picking up murder on the orient express mm-hmm. which is great but i'm also just like yeah but it's it gets even better <laughs> <laughs> it's true i haven't watched the new movie i i'm so turned off by Poirot's mustache that ends Johnny Depp. I just don't know that I can bring myself to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I, like, I have such mixed feelings about it because I think I was just, like, so enthralled by, like, watching an Agatha Christie adaptation and, like, I just like seeing how they're going to do, like, the reveals and everything like that and how they're going to handle the mystery that I really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and also I like it came out like a day or two after my birthday and all this stuff so I was just like it's my birthday I'm gonna go to the movies and watch this but like (laughs) and also I may still have a little bit of a crush of Kenneth Branagh because I used to watch the Shakespeare adaptations a lot when I was younger um so I think that's all just carried over but I don't think it's a great app it's not a great adaptation for sure like it's very over the top which I'm okay with um, but you kind of have to know that going into it and yeah if the Johnny Depp thing is not great um, so I, I think it's not terrible but I know a lot of people who really didn't like it so <laughs> I think it's okay if you don't don't watch it or don't watch it for a while so okay all right I think that's everything can I make one more suggestion oh of course um, if you're interested in learning about Agatha Christie, or if you love Agatha Christie, I would recommend checking out the episode of Radio Lab called Vanishing Words, because what a lot of people don't know is that as Agatha Christie got older, she started to lose her memory. They think that she might have the early stages of Alzheimer's, and they actually did a study where her last few books, she was using fewer words and smaller words than she had in her prior books, and they could actually tell from running her books through a computer that she had started to lose her memory. Oh, and my was gosh. showing the, the signs. And, oh, my goodness, I, the first time I told my boyfriend about it, I started crying. He's like, you're crying about a lady who passed away a long time ago that you didn't even know. And I was like, it's so sad, though, because I, I, I can't remember if it's that, but at the same, around that time that I listened to it, I learned a lot about her family and... Uh, by some accounts, they were not very nice to her when, when in her last few years, she was kind of like the dotty old lady that they kept around because she made them money, but they weren't very kind to her. Mm. So, like, combining that with her losing her memory just makes me want to cry every time I think about it. And this Radio Lab episode, Vanishing Words, so, so fascinating. Wow, that's great. I didn't know about that, so I'm definitely going to look that one up. All right. Would you like me to tell you about our next sponsor? Yes, please. Okay. Our next sponsor is The Kingfisher Secret from McClelland and Stewart. October 2016. In America, the election is a few weeks away. Journalist Grace Elliott has just landed a scoop that she believes will make her career. A porn star is willing to talk about her affair with the man some hope and many fear will become the next president of the United States. But no one will touch it, not even Grace's boss, the right-wing publisher of America's leading tabloid. Instead, Grace is sent to Europe where she discovers a story so big, so explosive, that it could decide the American election and launch a new Cold War, as long as she can stay alive long enough to tell it. 
So this is an energetic thriller infused with political intrigue and conspiracy. And sounds a little familiar. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> That's the Kingfisher Secret from McClelland and Stewart. And we thank them for sponsoring today. While you were doing that spot, I was like, oh, man, that hits too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's amazing how quick people can turn books out. You know, there's like three books out already about those boys trapped in the cave this summer. And there's like oh. another one coming out in a couple months. It's just it's like, how do you do that so fast? Yeah, I, I'll never understand that. All right. Um, so I have the new releases for uh, this week. So um, I think most of them have already come out. I think just one of them comes out next Tuesday. So I'm just going to talk about those very quickly. Um, so the first one is called An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good. And this is by Helen Turston. And this is actually a work in translation. And I forgot to write down who the translator was. So I apologize for that. Um so, ever since her darling father's untimely death when she was only 18, Maud has lived in her family's spacious apartment in downtown Gothenburg, rent-free, thanks to a small clause in their hastily negotiated contract. Uh, that's how Maud learned that good things can come from tragedy. Now, in her late 80s, Maud contents herself with traveling the world and surfing the net from the comfort of her father's ancient armchair. It's a solitary existence, but she likes it that way. Over the course of her adventures, or misadventures, this little bold lady will handle a crisis with a local celebrity who has her eye on Maud's apartment, foil the engagement of her long-ago lover, and dispose of some pesky neighbors. But when the local authorities are called to investigate a dead body found in Maud's apartment, will Maud finally become a suspect? So this book is being described as funny, irreverent, um, and this is actually a collection of stories. I think it's two stories um, or there's like a handful of stories. It's not like super long or anything like that. Um, but it also features uh, two never before translated stories that will keep you laughing all the way to the retirement home. So if you want something uh, kind of fun and silly that also includes potentially a murder, uh, then you can pick up An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helen Turston. And then I have An Unexpected Death, The True Story of a Body at the Belvedere by Makita Brotman. Um, this is a true crime book, and this one is an investigation into a mysterious death at the Belvedere, this once grand hotel, and is a poignant and gripping meditation on suicide and voyeurism. So um, there is this poster that says uh, that says missing, printed in bold, high-impact font um, with a two-tone photographs of a man dressed in a bow tie and tux. Most people would keep walking and maybe they'd pay closer attention to the local news that evening. But Makita Brotman spent 10 years sifting through the details of this missing man's life and disappearance and his purported suicide by jumping from the roof of her own apartment building, the Belvedere. Um, as Brotman delves into the murky circumstances surrounding Ray Riviera's death, which begins looking to be more and more like murder, she contemplates the nature of and motives behind suicide and uncovers a haunting pattern of guests at the Belvedere when it was still a historic hotel, taking their own lives on the premises. Finally, she fearlessly takes us to the edge of her own morbid curiosity and asks us to consider our own darker impulses and obsessions. And again, that one's called An Unexpected, or sorry, An Unexplained Death, The True Story of a Body at the Belvedere by Makita Brotman. And then there is a new work in translation from Pyon Hee Young uh, called City of Ash and Red. And this one is translated by Sora Kim Russell. I've heard really good things about this one already from people who have gotten um, advanced copies, copies of it. it. You've read it too? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. So uh, Pyong Hee Young Wrote, is a 2017 Shirley Jackson Award winner, and this is a slow-burning psychological thriller um, that's being described as a Kafka-esque parable. Distinguished for his ta talents as a rat killer, the nameless protagonist of He Young Pion's City of Ash and Red is sent by the extermination company he works for on an extended ex assignment in C, a country descending into chaos and paranoia swept by a contagious disease and flooded with trash. No sooner does he disembark than he is whisked away by quarantine officials and detained overnight. Isolated and forgotten, he realizes that he is stranded with no means of contacting the outside world. Still worse, when he finally manages to reach an old friend, he's told that his ex-wife's body was found in his apartment and he's the prime suspect. 
barely managing to escape arrest. He must struggle to survive in the streets of this foreign city, gripped with fear of contamination and reestablish contact with his company and friends in order to clear his reputation. But as the man's former life slips further and further from his grasp, and he looks back on the time with his wife, it becomes clear that he may not be quite who he seems. Um, so this is being described as an apocalyptic account of the destructive impact of fear and paranoia on people's lives, as well as a haunting lo- novel about a man's loss of himself and his humanity. And again, that one is called City of Ash and Red. And then the final book that I have, it comes out this coming Tuesday, uh, November 13th. It's called 17, and it's by Hideo Yokoyama, and it's translated by Louise Heal Kawai. This is um, a powerful new thriller. Um, So there are two uh, timelines. First one is in 1985. Kazumasaya Yuki, totally butchered that, I apologized, Um, a seasoned reporter at the North Canto Times runs a daily gauntlet of the power struggles and office politics that plague its newsroom. But when an air disaster of unprecedented scale occurs at the paper's doorstep, its staff is united by an unimagined horror and a -a once-in-a-lifetime scoop. Seventeen years later, in 2003, Yuki remembers the adrenaline-fueled, emotionally charged seven days that changed his and his colleagues' lives. He does so while making good on a promise he made that faithful week, one that holds the key to its last solved mystery and represents Yuki's final unconquered fear. Um, So this is being described as an investigative thriller set amid the aftermath of a disaster. And again, that one is called 17 by Hideo Yokoyama. Right on. All right. Those are all the ones I wanted to highlight. So, Liberty, do you want to tell me what you've been reading lately? Well, the I just finished the new Angie Thomas. I'm so jealous. She wrote The Hate You Give. <laughs> and her new one is called On the Come Up, which comes out in February, uh, which is about music. And it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, as far as mysteries and thrillers, the last one I read was a couple of days ago. Uh, it's called No Exit by Taylor Adams. It's it's a bottle episode. It's about a woman who ends up stranded in a snowstorm at a rest stop with four strangers. And while she's there, she realizes that there is a small child locked in a van out in the parking lot. And now she's trying to decide what she's going to do. She doesn't know who the van belongs to, which of these strangers it belongs to. Um, and like, how is she going to do anything when there's no contact with the outside world and what's going to happen? And it was so stressful. It's also super violent and gory. Uh, and of course I love it because, <laughs> you know, um, it's very, it's very Joe Hill, mm. uh, in, in its violence and, um, it's like terror. It was great. And I, I really like that. And I'm going to start reading Castle of Water by Dane Hucklebridge. He, there are a lot of times in my life where you hear about a book and then all of a sudden everyone's talking about it or you hear about something and then you see the book the next day. You know what yeah. I mean? Like these weird coincidences. And this one day when I was doing the news for our Book Radar newsletter, uh, I saw something about a movie called Castle of Water being adapted from this book by Dane Hucklebridge. And then that night, he started following me on Instagram, and I was like, that was strange. And then the next day I went to the bookstore, and there was the book. I was like, okay, I gotta get this. I gotta read it. Um, so I don't even know what it's about, but that's that's what I'm gonna do. How about you? <laughs> it was amazing. I love I love stories like that. Um, yeah. So uh, what I've been reading lately, um, I finished The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. Um, I started reading mm-hmm. that like right before Halloween and it was like the perfect Halloween book because it's kind of a ghost story. Um, it follows like two timelines. One of them um, takes place in the 1950s and one of them is like modern day-ish. It's like 2014 or something like that. Um, and there is this um, – private school or it's like an all girls private school that girls are sent to when they're like either misbehaving or they've had something happen to them and the family wants to like send them away so they can get away. Um, And then like 
you're following these four girls who are roommates there and something happens to one of them. Um, and then you like flash forward to modern day and you are following this journalist whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, but her sister died basically like on the grounds where this school used to be. Um, and so she like becomes sort of like obsessed with this area because like no one really knows what happened um in her sister's death or like someone was convicted for it and things like that but there's a lot of unanswered questions um and then she finds out that they're going to be reopening the school and so she starts looking into like who's doing this and why are they doing this and you know sort of what's going on and it sort of gets her to look again into her sister's mystery and find out more things and it was so well done um i was very surprised by this book. I think I went into it with kind of low expectations for some reason. Um, and I was just really pleasantly surprised. And again, it has like um, a ghost story element to it as well. Uh, and it was just like the perfect Halloween read. I really enjoyed it. And then um, the other book I finished recently is I finished reading The Witch Elm by Tana French. Um, I loved it because it's Tana French. And but it was so different from all of her other books. I told – I like texted Katie while she's in England. Um, so I'm pretty sure she hasn't <laughs> seen it yet. So – but I like was texting her because I finished the book and she had already read it. And I – because it, it will give you so many feelings. Like it's an extremely slow burn of a book. And so like for the first third, there's like nothing happening. Like things are happening, but like nothing is really happening. It takes a really long time before you hit like this plot point where everything sort of turns. And then even but even from that point on, the next third of the book is still really a slow burn. Um, and then the last third of the book just like picks up and it like blew my mind how everything went. Um, so yes, if you haven't read Tana French yet or want to give her a try or anything along those lines, The Witch Elm is a really good place to start. But just know that it is an extremely slow burn of a book. But it is completely worth it to push through till the end. Um, and then... Yeah, I, but I also think that if you are a ton of French fan already, you're going to enjoy this one, too. Um, I, I call it, it's sort of like a Donna Tartt experience ooh. reading this one. I felt like I love Donna Tartt, and when I read her, I feel like I'm drowning in words, and she could have used an editor, yes. but at the same time, I would read twice as many words that, as are on the page because I love her so much. That's exactly how I felt reading this. That's ex that's so well done, like a great description. Because I remember like reading this one and being like, this is taking me forever. Not, But also, like, I don't mind that it's taking me forever, because yeah. so I'm okay with it. But I was just like very thrown off by the pacing of it just because... I mean, and a ton of French's other books aren't, like, super fast-paced thrillers, so I knew it wasn't going to be like no. that. But this one is, like, really slow-paced. Yeah, but it's still awesome. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, and then in terms of what I have been reading recently or I am starting, I just started reading The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams. Um, it's an Yeah, it's a nonfiction book, and it's about – Basically, like I've just started, so I don't know the exact gist of it, but um, generally there's like this guy who like recovers dinosaur bones. He's not like an official paleontologist. I'm doing air quotes around that that phrase, um, but he basically like discovers uh, dinosaur bones, bones and like sells them. And so like it's about sort of the, if I'm, I believe the like scientific community sort of wanting to stop him and like how he acquires all these things and all this stuff. Um, I've heard it being described as like a good read alike if you've enjoyed books like the feather thief or, that came out earlier this year it's sort of that same idea of like part true crime part natural history part like just weird things happening in the world that you didn't really know about um so I, yeah i just started that and i'm really enjoying it so far if you want to read some true crime where no one dies yes. other than the poor dinosaurs but that um, already happened it's a good one. before we were around yeah so. yeah yeah. Um, and then I'm currently reading also Blood in the Water, which is not really true <gasps> crimey. I know you love this book. Oh, my book. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so good. Yeah, it's so good. So this one is about the Attica Prison Uprising that took place in 1971. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it's so good. Like, it's so well done. And it's completely fascinating. And I'm purposefully taking my time with this one. Um, it is a little bit of a longer book. Like I think the actual story itself is like 500-ish pages or something like that. And then there's like a bunch of notes at the end. Um, but I'm like purposefully taking my time with it because I'm enjoying it so much. And I really want to absorb all the information. Like Heather Ann Thompson does such a great job of providing like 
full context for everything that's currently happening and what the prison system is like and what um, these prisoners were facing and why they were asking for what on the surface seemed like completely reasonable requests um, and why this uprising has happened and things like that. But she also doesn't get like super bogged down in the details. Like the way it's written, it's so compelling, um, but also so informational and just like so well done. I'm yeah, really, really enjoying that. So highly recommend it already. So fantastic. It's hard to say like, I loved this book because it's so heavy. It's such a serious, horrible thing that happened. Um, But I mean, she does such an amazing job and she's like Emma Thompson in, in the name of the father, you know, she's, like, going to research this, and she's getting files that she's not supposed to have access to, and then sometimes when she's going to see files that she should have access to, they're missing, and just, she did so much research, it's amazing. It paid off. Like, I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to read through all of the nonfiction Pulitzer Prize winners, um, and so this one won mm-hmm. the Pulitzer for History, I think, like, last year or two years ago. Um, and like yeah. when while I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, she like 1000 percent deserves that award because the amount of work and research <laughs> that she did for this book is amazing. And the way she put it all together is amazing. So, yes, if you haven't read that one yet, I highly recommend it. Rinsey, thank you so much for letting oh me get out. Oh, my gosh. Out. I'm so excited. <laughs> this was like the most exciting day of my year. <laughs> Which says a lot about 2018, I think, also. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, this was great. It was so much fun. And hopefully, like, one day, not that I want Katie to be gone again, but (laughs) it would be great to be able to do something like this again. But obviously, nothing else will hold up because unless we talk about Agatha Christie again, which is possible. (laughs) Hey, I'm ready. All right. So that's it. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. I'll have links to, um, like, all of the books that we have talked about and all the different – like podcast episodes and things like that, that we uh, mentioned throughout the episode. I'll also have links to all the books in case for some reason you're subscribed to us and you're not subscribed to all the books. You definitely should be because Liberty talks about great front list and also great backlist on her Friday episodes. Um, so yes, it's a great resource for book recommendations. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us. It's a great way um, for new people to find our podcast. If you want to send us any messages, if you want to give us episode suggestions, if you want to ask us any general questions at all. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot to mention we're, our holiday episode is going to be coming up. I'm going to have to do like a proper shout out for this in the next episode. Um, but in December, we're doing our holiday recommendations episode. So if you need any recommendations for the holidays, you can also email us. Um, our email address is redordead at bookriot.com. Um, send us your questions, whether it's for yourself or your loved ones or maybe someone you just have no idea what to buy, but you know some mysteries that they might like, anything along those lines, or even just general questions and recommendations, we'll take those too. Um, So yes, definitely email us for that. We will be doing that episode, I believe it's the first week in December. So you can look forward to that. Oh man, that was a lot of announcements that I made at the end there. So (laughs) (laughs) where can people find you if they want to find you on the internet, not in real life? You... Yeah, here's my home address. Um, come look at my Agatha Christie books. I have them all. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Liberty and on Instagram. I kind of spend most of my time on Instagram now at Franzen Comes Alive. And I'll have links to those in the show notes as well, just to make it easier. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.